Hello everyone, and welcome to the Gut Wrench Podcast. And unlike other wrestling podcasts, where they open their show with a little musical tune every week, for some odd reason... I'm not. I'm not really sure where he gets his tune from, but whenever he opens his show, he, and then there's like a audible "yay," like a fake "yay" in the background, and um, <clears throat> I'm I'm be one hundred with you guys. I don't I don't know who he paid to to do that, but I mean it's it's amusing. It's funny, I guess. So I thought, why not? For the next three weeks, you heard me correctly. For the next three weeks, I'm going to give you guys a a somewhat melonious tune, just like that. This one was called Final Fantasy X2 Eternity Memory of Light Waves. So, if those of you who want to, you know, look that up, add it to your playlist, or for that matter, find some website that allows you to, like, copy and paste links so that you can... Download it onto your um, personal playlist somewhere that's not <clears throat> that's not legal or, for that matter, not on Apple Music. <coughs> because Apple Music will not allow you to do that due to copyright infringement. And due to copyright infringement, I have to tell you the title of the song so that... <coughs> The person who conducted such music, and by the way, this video was uploaded 11 years ago. This was a, um, not only, I mean, a beautiful music track. Not that, you know, I'm now the music critic, um, podcast, but, I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, but what I mean to say is that... <clears throat> That is, uh, one of the songs, oh my god, this sucks, <coughs> one of the pieces of music that I grew up with in my, as he calls it, sad, sad childhood. Anyway, I would like to thank everyone for joining me. My name is Mocha, by the way, in case you haven't already realized. I usually say that at the beginning of the show. And, um, in today's episode, why did I lock my phone? Sorry about that. Someone, um, come through the door again, and as you know, I try to stay as quiet as a church mouse whenever that happens. And if you don't know, that's a reoccurring joke here at the Gut Wrench Podcast. The <clears throat> fact that I live right beside of my living room. So the opening of the show takes us back to the Vince McMahon quote he made in 1997 where he talks about you're not going to find athletes of any caliber anywhere else in the world except 
in this sport. Well, in particular, he said, except in WWE, or at the time it was known as the WWF. But he, it, I could get the, he, I'm pretty sure I got the year wrong, but I never bothered to double check. So, you know, on me, you know, um, instead of 1997, he could have said this in 1977. So it would have made more sense, you know, seeing as though that they were using black and white grainy footage whenever, you know, the, the contest opened. And no, I didn't take a look at anything that um, someone else was recommending to me all this time before. For some reason, he seems to have this obsession, unhealthy obsession, with um, Midwest wrestling or something. I don't know, man. And... <clears throat> I was going to look at the AEW Rampage from the year. <coughs> Try that one again. At Of the um, month, January the 13th, uh, earlier on this year, which was the episode after the pay-per-view that we just got done looking at from AEW. Um, Battle of the Belts 5 last week but for uh, consistency reasons I wasn't able to unfortunately look at that and not only that but also my computer is very very slow and it doesn't want to download anything and I mean anything at all constantly sending me error messages and telling me to update my Apple ID settings even though th it doesn't need to be updated there's I've looked at it there's nothing there to update but a Vince McMahon quote uh, he made in 1997 could have been 1977 could have been 1987 for all I know all I know is that it was 19 and that the I mean the third the third number really isn't important no, where he talks about you're not going to find athletes of this caliber anywhere else in this world except for wrestling. But he specifically said except for WWE. Um, large, largely this is a personal opinion. Uh, this eventually... Oh, okay, that eventually uh, NASCAR is going to run out of things to talk about, so they're going to start talking in circles. You know, they're going to start talking about, uh, Kyle Busch won last year, and let's see if he can do it this year. Because, you know, he won last year. Well, even though Kyle Busch won last year, Jeff Gordon won in 1944. Uh, you know, you make a good point. Uh, Jeff Gordon did win, and, and Mark Martin won in 2016. I, I mean, maybe we should look for for somebody coming around the tailpipe and now there's a crash that happened out there oh my goodness somebody just blew a tire and then that guy just just threw a spark plug out his window you know like and the same could be said for any other uh for any other sport you know it's 
it's largely due to the fact that eventually they're going to run out of things to talk about. I had a list of things. I don't know if I should condense it or just go on to this rant that I had. Eventually basketball players or basketball podcasts, analysts, whatever else, are going to run out of things to talk about. They're going to talk about the same things almost every week. Um, or for that matter, it's going to feel like that they're talking about the same things almost every week because, oh, Steph Curry scored 320 points this season. That's great. That's wonderful. And, um, your season's almost over, isn't it? Oh, that's right. Wrestling doesn't have an off-season, now does it? Oh, hockey. Hockey season's almost over, isn't it? Oh, would you look at that? The Super Bowl just came, and then it went. So that means football season is over, don't it? <gasps> Can you imagine that? Football season being over. What am I going to do with my life? I may as well sit around the TV and watch CNN all day and see what Donald Trump is doing this week. And while I'm there, and while I'm there, why don't I go ahead and watch some Alice Cooper, or Alice Cooper. I meant to say Anderson Cooper. <clears throat> yeah, but basically, there's, they're just going to run out of things to talk about. Everything, baseball, basketball, uh, hockey, cricket, um, like I had a list down here, volleyball, even though that's, that's probably the most fun to watch. Most of the, um, women's, uh, football that I was told about. Now, I never really, you know, watched any of it, but most of the women's football that I was told about, according to what I was told, um, they don't wear... They don't wear, like, protective clothing. Um, I understand wanting to be competitive, you know? But whenever a woman tackles another woman, you know, you're going to imagine that she's going to have her shoulder out or she's going to have her, her hand up. She's going to probably bulldoze over another woman and she's going to get hurt. Why don't they wear protective clothing? <laughs> Please. I mean, if the men are forced to, why aren't the women? It seems a little sexist. Much like John Bradshaw Layfield once said, the only thing that limits you in the world of professional wrestling is your imagination. Although... Most of the time he was talking about hardcore stipulation matches, um, saying that whenever there's furniture, i.e. weapons, in the ring, the only thing that limits you is your imagination. But as long as everyone <clears throat> stays within those lines of the... creates somewhat of an original character... That's uh, themselves were never going to run out of 
things to talk about. We're never going to run out of ideas. <clears throat> I swear I didn't have this problem before I started recording. But now I'm starting to lose my voice. <clears throat> Here at the Gut Wrench Podcast. So as long as I have a voice to speak these things. I'll be here each and every week and I'm not going to run out of things to talk about and that's the beautiful thing about professional wrestling. Um for some reason they talk about the CWC, the Capital Wrestling Center, which apparently was the uh venue in which that this event took place. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about WWE NXT TakeOver 31. That's all that they say. <clears throat> Usually their TakeOvers have a nice little tagline like TakeOver Vengeance, TakeOver This, TakeOver That, TakeOver, 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 TakeOver. You know, they're just like, ooh, it's time to TakeOver uh, Brooklyn, TakeOver, and then they'll either put a tag on it or put a city on it. This one didn't have that. You know, take over New Orleans, take over Louisiana, take over um, Mississippi. I don't know. Usually they find something to take over. But this time it was just take over 31. And we kick off this particular event with the NXT North American Championship match. And apparently this is Wade Barrett's first uh, takeover on commentary. Gargano has been in more matches than anyone in history of NXT takeovers. As Damian Priest, champion, versus Johnny Gargano, challenger. <coughs> For the NXT North American Championship. If Johnny and Candice both win their matches, uh, <clears throat> they could become the first ever Grand Slam uh, power couple in WWE history. I didn't put this on my notes, but maybe they forgot about Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. But looking back, I'm sure that somewhere along the lines, instead of like on on the notes I would have put in WWE history um I'm sure that they said in NXT history so there could be a distinction there sort of like soup versus chowder or you know a sandwich versus a sub Johnny pulled two security staff members in front of him uh, rather than taking the Tope Suicida uh, from over the top. Much like Shawn Michaels did WrestleMania 25 against The Undertaker, except The Undertaker fell onto a cameraman. Funny thing is, like student, Johnny was trained, oh, like student, like teacher, Johnny was trained at the Shawn Michaels wrestling school. So... Shawn Michaels pulled a cameraman in front of The Undertaker to break his fall whenever he did the same move at WrestleMania 25. But his student, 
years earlier, rather, um, would do, or maybe years later, I didn't exactly get a, get a year on this, I'm sorry, 31, 2020, yep, had to have been because 2021, yep, just, just go with it. Now I'd have to look up when WrestleMania 25 was. I'm not sure what year it was, but that's not important. Not sure what they meant by it, but the referee uh, looks towards Johnny and tells him to remember to keep registering your holds. <laughs> Perhaps he was talking to Johnny about communicating uh, what the next move would be him to do to Damian Priest where to have this match go any further <coughs> like telling him remember uh, if you're going to do an STF tell him what you're going to do to him beforehand it sort of ruins the illusion But the emotion in this match, I really like it. For an opening contest, it's quite good. Thus, four, thus far, four out of five stars. Uh, both men told a really good story. <clears throat> and I don't really remember this side of Johnny Gargano uh, with the different entrance music and the Titantron graphic that reads All Heart and No Soul. Uh, he was... Doing very underhanded, dirty tactics, such as pulling the security guards in the way of a tope suicida. Uh, during the low blow, whenever doing the low blow, whenever the referee wasn't looking, I do not remember the side of Johnny Gargano as well as I do not remember seeing a match with Damian Priest that lasted more than five, six, or for that matter, seven and a half minutes. Um, on the main roster, they would usually hang out, have him hang out with, like, Bad Bunny, and, you know, he would just be, like, showing up during the mid-card, but nonetheless, I gave it four out of five stars, it was a really good contest, and for that matter, like, I, I don't know what else to say about it, I just told you highlights, I just told you my rating, and um, we're going to move on. <clears throat> As Koshida versus Velveteen Dream. Now, this was my first um, time seeing Koshida. Now, well, I won't say my first time seeing it because I have seen him before just in different wrestling promotions. Um, I've only seen him in Impact Wrestling, but I've never actually seen him wrestle. Every time that I've seen him, he's been behind someone else who that someone else that he's was behind or valeting for would be the person who would be doing the wrestling which means that he wouldn't be wrestling at all this seems to be Koshida's first appearance here in WWE they're talking about uh, how his future is bright oh what little did they know he, honestly, um, he wouldn't stay in the company very long. He would up and leave. Um, 
I'm not sure how long he stayed, but I know that recently he was seen in Impact Wrestling. So he probably didn't stay very long, especially if this was in 2020. And it seems to be um, right at COVID because everyone's wearing the masks. Well, not everyone, you know, they're crowd members and stuff like that. And they're all behind, like, plexiglass that's reinforced by cages. Um, how bright his future looks, and the man has a reputation for being a uh, six-time IWGP uh, heavyweight, junior heavyweight champion from the land of the rising sun, Japan. Uh, on the other side of this coin, however, the Velveteen Dream says that he is, he performs best uh, when the lights are the brightest. Which very well could be true out of all the things, out of all the Velveteen Dream matches that I've seen, he's done wonderful. He's done great work. Uh, Patrick Morsey, I think his name is, or Patrick Murphy, or whatever his name is, uh, the Velveteen Dream. I've been following his career since he got out of the Tough Enough program. Even though he didn't win the contest, he certainly won a lot of hearts. And for that matter, he won a WWE contract despite not winning the contest, if memory serves me correctly. Um, the winner of the contest, I do believe, got fired, and his name was... Andy something, I think, and he went by Silent Rage. Steve Austin looked at him one time during the contest and told him, Silent Rage. He said, sounds like a damn Christmas carol. It was hilarious. Uh... I'm always impressed, uh, despite his checkered past or his, uh, or this, in this case, his, uh, checkered future, because what would become of the Velveteen Dream is that, um, someone would accuse him of sending lewd and lascivious pictures to a, um, underage little boy, apparently, and, um, the dream has no memory of that or something like that. Whenever Patrick was confronted with them, uh, there was no, like, actual evidence of him actually doing anything with a underage little boy. Koshida attacks Velveteen Dream before the match even begins. As the Dream is making his entrance, uh, Wade Barrett brings up on commentary. The Velveteen Dream reminds him of a gorgeous George by how flamboyant and colorful he acts. <clears throat> now, I don't know anything about that. I just thought I'd write it down because I don't really... The, the only experience I have with the gorgeous George is the opening to WWE's package, which is... um. The fact that they'll go, and we promised you a great matchup here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, look out here. Andre the Giant WrestleMania. Gorgeous George. They they make one reference to him during that, that almost like 30-second um, 
look past the WWE if you haven't seen it. Just 30 seconds. That's all that it takes. Go on YouTube, type in WWE opening, um, and you're bound to, to see it. You'll know that you've been at the right video whenever the end of it comes, and then it says, Now, Then, Forever. And it, it'll play that like this this beautiful, beautiful musical piece, almost like you heard at the beginning of this podcast. Thank you so much. Memory Eternity to Light Waves, I do believe is the name of the music piece that you heard there. I just thought that I would maybe throw Brandon a curveball. For someone who says that he does their he does his best work when the lights are the brightest, the uh, the Velveteen Dream really dropped the ball in this match, and he used to make he was more of a punching bag than anything else. Koshida was the star of the show today. <clears throat> he really put the he really put the gas to the floor and he didn't let go. Uh, I give this exhibition contest three out of five stars. Velveteen Dream didn't put on a beautiful performance, uh, but a little bit of a underwhelming performance compared to the way that he was talking about. You know, it was very underwhelming the way that he was hyping up how he was going to show Koshida and show the world that he was, or that he is, rather, the velveteen dream he went for the velveteen dream maker um or the um purple rainmaker rather he went for it like twice he didn't hit it almost at all because koshida caught him out of midair from the purple rainmaker and he put him in what seemed to be a kimura lock of some sort and made him tap out and koshida was really really fast like in this contest now before this next match begins I'd had a friend of mine tell me now for those of you who don't know the last time a friend of mine told me hey you need to check out this wrestler and then basically point me in their direction show me pictures of him show me highlights of his last week's match or whatever and then just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about how great that of a wrestler of a performer that this person is the last time that that happened I tried to watch a Kevin Owens match because they told me that Owens was a great performer and they lied they lied to me and I thought you know what? Maybe he just had a bad match. That's all. But watch the second Kevin Owens match. <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not proud of it. You know, that I gave him a second chance. And then I was like, oh, uh, okay. Well, I mean, is is that what's so, you know, grandiose? So great? So good? I was just like, wow, I mean, this is my friend's favorite wrestler. Well, all right. So I texted him and I told him I don't I don't like him. I think he sucks. 
And then he's like, ha, 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 you're joking, right? He's, he's really good. You should check out his. And this is what struck me as odd. Whenever I told him that I didn't like Kevin Owens, he told me, you should check out his Ring of Honor stuff. And then I'm like, okay. But, 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 but if I don't like him, why, why would I do that? Doesn't make sense. And plus, he's in WWE now, right? So it would make no sense to backtrack as to watch him, I guess, I'm going to put this in air quotes, in the good old days. You know, like, watch him when he was good, you know? Like, what's he doing here? What's he doing on the highest pinnacle of professional wrestling now? What's he doing grabbing these big paychecks? Um, you know? So, anyway, I bring that up because a friend of mine told me to check out Santos Escobar and I was like okay why though and he's like cuz he's supposed to be everything that and then he told me he's supposed to be everything that Andrade was supposed to be so for those of you who don't know back in 2010 the 2010s, roughly, um, there was a wrestler by the name of Andrade, Cien Almas, and <clears throat> he joined NXT, and he was supposed to be this great luchador-type wrestler, and he had a manager, her name was Zelina Vega, and um, I've talked about Vega once or twice before. Uh, matter of fact, in 2019, I think that she won the um, Queen of the Ring, if I remember correctly. I talked about that because I remember uh, talking about her and um, and uh, Woods winning the um, King of the Ring. Well, Woods won the King of the Ring and she won the Queen of the ring or the queen's crown or whatever it was called at the time um anyway it's not the point um the point is that whenever vega and cn came over from nxt to wwe i guess he just i'm i'm not really sure how to how to put it they very underwhelming performances, okay? Because in NXT, he was putting on five-star matches with the likes of people like um, Aleister Black and oh shit, I said his name again. I hope that I didn't. I hope that I didn't like break any mirrors. Everybody okay? Everybody okay? You know, like this is this is serious. You don't say Black's name, okay? Just be careful whenever you say that. The Dutch Destroyer. That's what we'll call him from now on. Um, we could call him AB too, seeing as though that those are his initials. Well, there's ways to get around this, I promise. And for those of you who don't know, that's a running gag. And 
I'm Mr. Continuity right now. <laughs> Mr. Consistency. Ah, ah, you've been sticking around since episode one. Or for that matter since my YouTube channel. Then you'll know that that's a running gag. But anyway. Um, he had some very, very good matches. Five star performances, if you will, against Bo Dallas. Against uh, Bray Wyatt. Against uh, just just every everyone and I'm I'm drawing a blank here of you know other NXT superstars that perhaps were larger than life I mean Finn Balor Samoa Joe um he's possibly been on a consistent basis one good match that he did was with Apollo Crews and another one that he did was with um Ty Dillinger Oh my god, so those two, to be, the funny part is, his name is C.N. Almas, C.N. of course in, in, um, in Spanish means 10, and Ty Dillinger is literally the perfect 10, yeah, let me think, uh, C.N. 5? You think Uno Los <laughs> Tres Quadros Those okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm right with my uh Spanish numbers. Fact check me if I'm not. But anyway, he told me that Santa Santos Escobar is supposed to be everything that um that um he told me that Escobar is supposed to be everything that Almas was supposed to be. Except Almas left the company long, t long time ago, you know? He was like, well, they were going to strap the rocket to Almas. They were going to give him all these, all these wonderful, wonderful opportunities. And, you know, he just goes and leaves. And he tells me about how great Santos Escobar is. And I, I guess I just burst the bubble and I, this was an underwhelming performance by Santos Escobar. I tried to be less critical about him, but whenever I looked at this and then I looked at the first match that they did with um, Gargano and Priest, which was the first championship match that we had, I found myself scratching my head thinking to myself, okay, well, Gargano and Priest put on a hell of a good match and this right here was billed like the story was billed to be something great but in reality it was a bomb i mean we got a 450 splash from uh isaiah swerve scott who was the opponent in case i didn't mention who the opponent was uh scott went for practically everything except for the proverbial kitchen sink and um, Santos Escobar had some help come out, but they were just a distraction so that uh, Escobar could hit a move. And um, uh, Scott apparently kicked out of one of the moves that, quote, no one has ever kicked out of. Um, nobody kicks out of the Phantom Driver. Yeah, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. If if no If nobody kicks out of it, if it's that much of a protected finisher... I want to know something. How long has Santos Escobar held the title? Or for that long, how 
or for that month or for that matter how many people have he hit it how many people has he hit with the phantom driver only for them to not you know get up from it <clears throat> if that's the case i want to know how protected his finishing maneuver is because i'm going to compare it to something right here i'm still unsure uh, how long Escobar had been a part of the roster by this point in time because when they said quote nobody kicks out of the one-winged angel Kenny Omega literally meant just that because for a full year until John Moxley showed up nobody and I mean nobody end quote had kicked out of the one-winged angel so if I'm comparing John Moxley and Kenny Omega to that of Santos Escobar and Isaiah Swerve Scott, where no one kicks out of the one-winged angel. And Don Callis made that extremely relevant, and he made it, he made sure that everybody knows nobody kicks out of the one-winged angel. It was the truth. When he told you that, you had better damn well believe it. Because the man went a year, a full calendar year, 52 weeks, without anybody kicking out of his finishing maneuver. That's how protected that it was. Until John Moxley came along and ruined it. Well, I shouldn't say ruined it. I had fun watching Omega face off against Moxley. <clears throat> even their death match but whenever Escobar hit the Phantom Driver I felt like he's going to kick out of this right before you know he even kicked out of it and if he wouldn't have kicked out of it if it would have been a three count then I would have been like wow that was really underwhelming you know that's not as hyped up as you know a friend of mine <clears throat> told me that Santos Escobar is supposed to be this great, wonderful athlete. Here's a question. Why did he tell me that? Why did he lie to me? Do you see where this is going? Once again, I'm disappointed. And the same thing happened whenever they introduced me to Sami Zayn. Don't get me wrong. These are three different people. Introducing me to three different wrestlers. But whenever they introduced me to Sami Zayn, and I had to watch that stupid fucking match between him and Cesaro, I found myself on the edge of my seat whenever Cesaro would perform a move, but I found myself yawning, practically wanting to go to sleep every time that I seen Sami Zayn do a damn thing. And hearing commentary talk on and on and on about how wonderful Sami Zayn is and about how much of a underdog from down under that he is. How? 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 He deserves to have both of his legs broke and live the rest of his life in a wheelchair. But anyway, that's off topic. This match... <clears throat> was very underwhelming and as soon as the this is awesome chance start we get the ending 
So the crowd was just starting to get into the match, but off of a 450 splash um, that Isaiah Swerve Scott hits, afterwards Escobar gets up and then he hits, um, I can't remember what move that he hits because I didn't write it down. He goes for a razor's edge. I remember that. And then... Oh, yeah. So, he's on... Like I said, sort of anticlimactic. So, he's on the ring apron, for whatever reason. And he's, like, inches away from, like, the steel uh, ring post. I guess this is how you protect him. But whenever uh, Scott hit his head off of the ring post... Once again, that's in air quotes... Um, whenever Scott hit his head off of the ring post, it apparently knocked him out, and Escobar was able to pick up the victory. Yeah, I didn't understand it either. And it was like 30 seconds after the crowd just got done chanting, this is awesome. Two and a half out of five stars. Next, we go to the co-main event of the evening. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not a repeat broadcast. I repeat, <clears throat> not a repeat broadcast. If you'll remember um, so many episodes ago, by the way, this is episode 72. Had to get that in there somewhere. Um, if you'll remember so many episodes ago it must have been at least last year and whenever I read the card for this particular event I was reading this card and then I was like is this the same match card because in a way it looked like it especially whenever I seen this particular match right here Avid um, listeners will know where this is going. I Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Except this time, unlike last time, the NXT Women's Championship is on the line. Last time it was a grudge match. Last time <coughs> it was personal. Now, both women here have interesting developments that they've both made since since the last interaction that I've seemingly talked about. And for those of you who don't know, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Why, you might ask? Because that first episode that I ever did with this one, I wasn't expecting to see two women of... A five-star caliber put on such a great contest. I was expecting to come in and then just be like, Oh, that was a pretty good match. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty decent match. I mean, there's, there's just something with this women's division. But instead, I was blown away. I was almost in tears. Because I didn't think that it could be brought to that level to that top echelon of, of competition. Words cannot describe 
what it was. It was almost like I walked into a car lot and the dealer handed me the keys and told me to have a nice day. <laughs> That's how good it felt that first time. Like having sex for the first time. This time, it was just as good. You know what they say, right? You never forget your first time. So, there was a battle royal to determine who who would be the number one contender for Io Shirai. Um, Io Shirai's number one contender. <clears throat> because she was the champion. And, um, even before that, we get an... Uh, I, I would like to commend them for their editing skills, by the way, because their editing skills somewhat tells a story because whenever they show highlights from what happened to get to this point, Candice LeRae says, let's rewind to April. During an NXT number one contendership ladder match for the NXT Women's Championship where Candice LeRae recalls Io Shirai raked her in the eye with her thumb on top of a ladder. So both women were on top of the ladder and Io decided that she was going to poke Candace in the eye and whenever she did that she basically made an enemy out of Candace LeRae who they keep calling and I love this the poison pixie. <laughs> that is just beautiful. That's wholesome, but that's beautiful. But don't worry, we'll get to Io Shirai. She recalls getting a thumb to the eye um, by the now champion Io Shirai. Now, Shirai tells her side of the story... Um, but before that, Candace says that she was, at one point in time, everybody's best friend. She was always the little sister, or the big sister, that everyone could come to whenever they had a problem. And then it shows, like, a montage of her, like, hugging everyone, and, and her, like, being all, all, you know just handsy with them and holding their hand and telling them like giving them advice and telling them that everything will be okay and training with them and you know and if you remember that episode that I previously mentioned and if you don't remember please go back and listen to it it's called it should be the one episode called this episode will forever live in my heart forever something of that nature it shouldn't be that hard to find it sticks out like a sore thumb as far as all of my episodes go <clears throat> but it was just that one performance from NXT New Orleans I do believe was the name of the event because they bring it up uh, once or twice 
but she talks about how she was the big sister to everyone and how everyone would just take advantage of her because her exact words were and where did it get me absolutely nowhere so when you raked me in the eyes Io Shirai you metaphorically opened my eyes and of course Candace goes on to talk about the Gargano way now for those of you who aren't aren't sure what exactly it is that Candace is talking about. Her husband, earlier on in the night, had his match. <clears throat> and as I stated before, I don't remember seeing these underhanded tactics from Johnny Gargano. It baffles me to some point to say this, but this is beautiful consistency. Because... If Johnny's going to act like that, if he's just going to pull security guard members out in front of uh in front of a superstar while he's performing a move as dangerous as the tope suicida, a suicide dive over the top rope, or if Johnny's going to be low blowing people as I stated before and waiting for a referee to come in and or um do a referee bump. Take advantage of a five count. Oh. Just. They, they show the story. Of what happened. In that first performance. That I previously mentioned. That we have looked at before. Where. Io Shirai was trapped in a cage with Candice LeRae who was trying to hug her and comfort her and tell her that everything is going to be okay. But at that point, Io Shirai had snapped. Io Shirai had snapped not only thanks to the horsewomen, not only thanks to um, being beaten not once, not twice, not three, not four, not five, but probably countless, countless, countless times by um, Shayna Baszler. But every time that Io Shirai had her back against the wall and she was in tears or she was distraught about something, her, quote, big sister would always be there in Candice LeRae. You see... There's a common theme that I notice with these women. It's that they all want to be their best friend. They all want to be the, and I have it here on my notes, to bring up the evolution of Alexa Bliss, who would no longer be the best friend. Bring up the evolution of Sasha, B Sasha Banks, shit, <laughs> Becky Lynch who at one point in time just wanted to be, and she said it herself, she wanted to be everyone's friend. But where did that get her? Nowhere. Exactly what Candace LeRae said. <clears throat> and I have it here on my notes to bring up the evolution of Bailey. Oh my God, the transformation from Bailey then versus Bailey now is night 
and day. It is honestly something that you cannot make up because this woman went from being a full-on hugger, whatever that means, to being a full-on role model, as she calls herself. It's, I'm not sure who called themselves the role model first, whether it was Bailey or whether it was Britt Baker, DMD, but that's neither here nor there and that's not the point. Um, really the point is to highlight the evolution of the Poison Pixie, the goddess Alexa Bliss, the hugger Bailey who went into being someone else other than just the hugger Bailey, and the Celtic invasion, if that's what you want to call her, but I would much rather, I mean, she went from being like everyone's best friend to being the man, Becky Lynch. And for those of you who still don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the evolution of all of the women who have somehow went from being a, a you know, a smiley, happy, go lucky. Oh my God, that's so cool. Aww. It's almost like a. I have a meme in my phone. Um, it says preacher goes from being a preacher to being a stripper and says that she's never been happier. You know, it's almost like you're embracing your dark side and you decide. And none of these characters, by the way, are any of the same people like they find their own niche, their own way of talking, their own way of... And I'm not even getting into the match yet, but they find their own rhythm. And that's the beautiful, beautiful thing. Like I said at the open of the contest, eventually NASCAR, they're going to start talking in circles. They're going to start talking about the same old dog shit each and every week that you're going to have to listen to. Uh, motocross, um, fucking every every other fucking sport eventually is going to start talking about the same old recycled bullshit. Not here in wrestling. You will never hear the same interpretation of something said twice. Unless it's in agreement with someone or it's in denial. Anyway, on to the contest. Because I know that you're all waiting, salv salvating, rather. You're all drooling, thinking, okay, well, what's the match then? And Candice LeRae wants to do this the Gargano way. And what does that entail? Well, since they brought up the, the last 
match, I automatically, at the start of this match, gave this match two out of five stars because they told a beautiful story already and they're using continuity. They're using, they're using their, like, they could have very well just acted like that that first match didn't exist. But since they didn't, I gave them automatically a star, a two out of five star rating to start this match before the match even begins. So they already have, all they have to do is just earn three stars throughout the contest and that they get it. They get the perfect score again. EO tells her side of the story and says that she's no stranger to facing Candice LeRae. And they show highlights from the last time these two met. Um, to confirm that canonically we are looking at the second match. I could confirm. I couldn't confirm rather until I seen these highlights. So throughout the entire event once I read the uh, card before I started recording for this um, particular show I started asking myself is this the same event? Is this the same event? But if you'll remember the same event had um, Gargano in the main event not in the opening contest like it did here but in the main event against uh, Adam Cole <clears throat> in a two out of three falls match this is not the same event this is a different song and dance but anyway Io Shirai tells her side of the story um that she's no stranger to facing Candice LeRae and then it shows highlights um from their second match or from their first match so that we can canonically say that this is the second uh match that they've had the first one, of course, wasn't for the women's championship. This one is. Uh, the first match, uh, before the match, we looked at in the previous episode on the show, we go to see the highlights of how beautiful their uh, rivalry came to be. As they show us the, the highlights of them trapped in a cage with Io Shirai snapping and breaking a chair over her supposed best friend's back. Um, making Candace a victim, but now Candace sees things another way. And she wants to thank Io Shirai for what she did that night. Because she opened up Candace LeRae's eyes. Metaphorically, of course. <clears throat> now, she does things a new way, the Gargano way. The word Shirai in Japanese means purple thunder, according to Beth Phoenix on commentary. Talk about the evolution of Candice LeRae. Already did that. Talk about the evolution of Alexa Bliss. Check. Talk about the evolution of Becky Lynch and Bailey. Check and check. Because it helps further extenuate my point. Um, the match starts with EO does nearly three backflips and a cartwheel to escape a standing switch um, from Candice LeRae and 
She also escapes an Irish whip from a standing position that was beautiful. Uh, then we go to a standing switch turnbuckle in which Candice LeRae tries a monkey flip on Io Shirai, but Shirai lands on her feet. So nimble, so quick, so beautiful, and for that matter, she's got great balance. So does uh, Beth Phoenix thinks so too on commentary. What a move. Oh, okay, so Vic... Vic Joseph on commentary is the fucking worst in this match. So, first thing that he does is he calls a... <clears throat> he calls a, um... Snapmare neckbreaker that Candice LeRae does to Io Shirai. He says... What a move. Like, he's not even excited about it. <clears throat> he calls a suplex a brain buster. I'm sorry, he calls a, a brain buster a suplex. And a drop kick in the corner a... Meteora. Which, that was not a Meteora. It's a drop kick in the corner. A Meteora is a completely different move. <laughs> you fool. I don't really or wasn't really paying attention all that much. Uh, up, you know, all night. Just to correct Vic Joseph. Uh, these are just three that I picked up on. That he sort of missed. Consistency is the key because avid listeners will remember one of the highlights that I specifically listed on the last Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai matchup that the champion once again. Now, here's how the match ends. Well, before that, we get some shenanigans from the referee. Referee goes outside because he's been hit by Io Shirai. Or uh, Candace, rather. Yeah, Candace hits him first, and then Eo hits him next. And it's by accident. And afterwards, uh, Candace hits a move on Eo, and she goes for the pin. Her husband comes in uh, wearing a referee shirt. And if you'll remember, last week, what happened was whenever Aubrey Edwards tried to throw out one of those uh, scene brothers, those fucking fools, for wearing a referee shirt, that was last week, and this is this week, except this time it's Candice LeRae's husband trying to almost like give her the championship. He tries for a fast three count, but can only get a two count whenever EO kicks out. And then after that, the referee comes in, tells him to get out of here and take his shirt off, and... While he's being distracted, Candice LeRae cracks um, Io Shirai upside the head with a title belt, trying to pull some Eddie Guerrero shenanigans, but it doesn't work. Um, Johnny Gargano ends up leaving, and then we get the most beautiful part of the match. Like I said, avid listeners will remember the episode that I just mentioned earlier. Do you remember the end of that match? Because I do. 
Because I can't fucking stop thinking about it. Io Shirai goes to the corner with Candice LeRae in her hand. Whenever she does, she pulls off one of the coolest looking moves that I've ever seen. And it is called the Avalanche Spanish Fly. Vic Joseph even gets it right. Thank God Vic Joseph gets it right. Whenever he hits the, whenever she hits rather the Avalanche Spanish Fly, she then places her opponent right within moonsault range she goes up to the top to the top turnbuckle and she hits a beautiful five star moonsault picture perfect Io Shirai retains her championship <clears throat> despite Vic Joseph's uh, horrible commentary uh, despite the uh, terrible ref bump this match sets itself aside from the other contest that we did look at. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure which episode, you know, like canonically, numbers-wise. This is episode 72, by the way. Is it 71? Uh... You just give me one second, I can uh, double check that. Yeah, no, it seems a little silly to one. Oh, you're just going to double check it right now. Like, oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and double check it right now. Because I don't want to be canonically incorrect. I want to make sure that everything gets gets its spot, you know? This is episode 71. I said 72. I don't know why. Thank you all so much for joining me. Why am I signing off? It's not even the end. <laughs> we still got one more championship match to go through. But uh, avid listeners will remember, and this is something that I wanted to bring up before. Oh yeah, I already said it. Spanish fly, um, moonsault, one, two, three, avalanche, Spanish fly. If you don't know what a Spanish fly is, and you call yourself a wrestling fan, you need to get out of the room, you need to get out of the business, and for that matter, you need to get off of my show. was a beautiful contest and the context that was giving I wouldn't rate it any lower I would have not watched in canonical order uh yeah had I would have not watched this in canonical order then I would have probably given this match a lower rating because I just wouldn't have been immersed in the story that I was just told I would have just been like oh, yeah they're just telling stories over here look at them shit <laughs> can you believe these guys <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a lot of story behind this one uh, but 
they show a promo package about respect and it's about giving an opportunity to someone of a huge it's about giving an opportunity to someone I'm a huge Kyle O'Reilly fan and I'm a huge Finn Balor fan the ring where you're usually telling a story in this business you're usually uh, telling stories much like the last match uh, told a beautiful story between two competitors it's just hope that this one even before it begins I'm saying this is a lot a lack of story here other than I respect you so you deserve a title shot the lack of story I hope it doesn't bring down the match the NXT championship is on the line as Finn Balor faces off against Kyle O'Reilly the crowd is chanting this is awesome before we even begin and O'Reilly this is something that I noticed uh, before they brought it up on commentary but O'Reilly uh, really keeping this match on the ground because he knows how dangerous Finn Balor can be if he gets to a vertical base. If he gets to his feet, Finn Balor can basically ping pong around the ring and just, um, oh, look at that high flying move here. Oh, look at that oh, sling blade. Oh, clothesline. Oh, double down. Oh, flapjack. Um, he gets up. He hits him with a kick. A shining wizard. Uh, double arm moonsault. Uh, double arm DDT. Uh, 1916 uh you know Balor is really dangerous whenever he gets to a vertical base so for Kyle O'Reilly to really keeping him down on the ground and making sure that he stays um at a lower at a lower pace really works in his favor and he does it really well for that matter he does it all throughout this match much of the story seems to be between uh most experienced Finn Balor and the less experienced Kyle O'Reilly they're both uh separated by five years and O'Reilly asks what difference does five years make a terrific no that's not what that says A trifecta, rather, of double underhook suplexes followed up by a single double underhook DDT. And it only garners a two count from Kyle O'Reilly. Even though there was a great story told here, even though there wasn't a great... Even though there was a great story told here inside the ring... That's all that it was. It was a great story told inside the ring. Um, and there was no context outside of that. Just a story told inside a wrestling ring. And this one, unlike the last one, really didn't have a lot of shtick to it. They really didn't. Oh, we're just going to do a ref bump. And you would expect that, especially seeing as though that Kyle O'Reilly is part of a group known as the Undisputed Era who tends to get into matches um, with their... with their... 
representatives in it. You know, so if Kyle O'Reilly were to represent Undisputed Era, you would figure that Undisputed Era would want to come out and, you know, trip the leg of Finn Balor or distract the referee while, you know, someone hands him the brass knucks. You know, these are all heelish things that that professional wrestling fans come to understand that other wrestlers tend to do but this was purely out of respect um from start to finish from bell to bell they they shook hands you know um even at the back of the arena before the the match even begins before the entrance music even hits the cameras go back there to see Kyle O'Reilly shaking hands with uh Bobby Fish uh the other members of Undisputed Era, and at one point, Adam Cole even hugs hugs him and tells him that he loves him. And if you know the relationship between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly from Ring of Honor, then you know that that is heartfelt. He respects Kyle O'Reilly. Nonetheless, Finn Balor ends up picking up the victory. Both men, by the end of this match, bleeding from their mouths. That is passion, ladies and gentlemen. That is beautiful. And I gave this match five out of five stars. Bringing my, if I'm right, five out of five star count up to 41. Five. Out of five stars. I know a lot of you are probably asking a whole bunch of questions right now. <clears throat> so I've got a whole bunch of answers. Yes, no, and maybe. Did you see what I did there? I just answered a whole bunch of questions all at one time. Regardless of the fact that you didn't give me any questions. I just answered them. <clears throat> so... In the coming weeks, I've had a few ideas. Idea number one. And Brandon, you can steal this if you want to. Um, do a full 52-week recap of one random year of the WWE. That means that I would do a 52-week stretch. A full year looking back. At a random placed year. So a 52 week stretch of let's say 2005. Another episode idea that I have. Or canonically speaking episodes ideas that I have. Is to do a... One hundred and one ranked wrestling matches of all time. Now I feel like I need to be a little bit more vague as to whether or not I would do one hundred and one best or one hundred and one worst or maybe even both because nobody can stop me. As we go off the air, we see Finn Balor retain his NXT World Championship off of the coup de gras. 
thank you all so much for joining me. My name is Mocha. This is episode 71. <clears throat> and, um... I was... Uh, oh, is it... Wait, what? What's that? No, I, I don't do that. No, I don't do that here. Is some somebody off off microphone wants me to an ASMR sex chat? I don't think that they would like that. Mm -mm. This is not a webcam forced focus type. Yeah, I'm not gonna do a jack off instruction either. Thank you. You can you can try again. Yes. I don't care how much money you pay me, it's not going to happen. Can you believe this guy? A reenactment of episode 3 of Everybody Loves Raymond. Why, why is that a good episode idea? Does that have anything to do with wrestling? Or witchcraft? Okay, um, I'll have to watch episode 3 of Everybody Loves Raymond. Which season? Season 1? Okay, okay. We can do that. <clears throat> I don't, I don't quite get what you're saying here, buddy. Um, you're gonna have to speak up. You think, you think I should get a haircut live? On on the air. Well, there's an idea. Will of morality. Spin, spin, spin. Tell us the lesson that we should learn. How does that sound? Is that enough? You know, Warner Brothers um, references for you? Because if that's not enough Warner Brothers references, I don't know what is. Thank you all so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> My name is Mocha. Your name is not. We've been over this part before. That's a wrap. Good night, everybody. <clears throat>